Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. Andy Moore on the Motor Group Hotline. Brad Spielberger of PFF joins us. I'm going to ask you this first, um, and not that this is a, a big deal. But I like the overlapping of the double dip NFL-wise on Monday night. Do you? Yeah, you know, I do. I saw a lot of complaints about it. Uh, I have a two-screen household here, so uh, I'm able to watch both games simultaneously. And for me, more football is always good. You know, I'm not going to complain about more football. No, and I like the way that it overlaps. I do. I mean, like, we, we're used to in the past at the start of the season, right? You get a double dip, you know, East Coast one and then a West Coast one. But I like the way that these, these overlap. I enjoy it. Yeah, especially with a little bit of a stagger still to where, you know, I remember last night the Panthers, uh, Saints were going into halftime. The Browns Steelers still had, I don't know, 10 minutes left in the second quarter. And then when that came into halftime, the, you know, the Panthers Saints were back on. So it was nonstop action. We have seen Frank Reich around here before. Uh, would you consider the start of this season offensively and some of the questions being lobbed his direction in Charlotte? Would you consider that a Frank Reich offensive issue problem when they ask him whether or not he should still be calling the plays? Because we saw that here and wondered that here, and now you see it again. It's only two weeks, but you see it in Charlotte. Is that a Reich problem? You know, I, I will say I'm not super surprised so far with the lack of their receivers to create separation. You know, I think coming into the year, they probably had the worst weaponry in the NFL or certainly on the short list there. I am really, really surprised that Bryce Young looks more lost than Anthony Richardson um, and certainly C.J. Stroud. You know, regardless of what I thought about those guys long term, I thought coming into their rookie seasons, we would see a, a Bryce Young that we saw at Alabama that was so poised, so calm, so confident. I think it's still there to a degree, but but kind of looks like a deer in headlights sometimes. Yes, he played against two very good defenses the first two weeks. Um, you know, I think Atlanta's unit's a lot better than it was last year. But uh, you know, th- that probably does go back to Reich and and Caldwell and, and the veterans in that building that that have helped a lot of young quarterbacks. I've been surprised how out of sorts he's looked. So Brad Spielberger, PFF, via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. All right, what'd you make of the Colts? Over the weekend. Now, I know this. Houston, collectively, not any good. But you take a win whenever you can get it. And the Anthony Richardson situation, concussion, concussion protocol, enter Gardner Minshew. I guess what I would ask you first, what are your thoughts on the Steichen offense in the first two weeks of the season, calling the plays and being a first-time head coach? I think he looks great. You know, I think he saw that he clearly knew what he was doing in Philadelphia. Nick Sirianni, you know, passes over play calling duties. Steichen called plays of the Chargers during Herbert's rookie season as well. Uh, obviously, you know, won the rookie of the year, had, you know, most touchdowns ever for a rookie quarterback. So, you know, look, still some things to work out. Obviously, maybe you don't want to expose Richardson as much, although I really don't think they've been running him too often. You know, kind of a fluky concussion right at the goal line with a safety that I think in college, Richardson probably beats that safety to the pylon by five yards and just has to recognize he's now playing in the NFL. But I really like what I've seen. I think you also saw, which is very, very hard to do, the script flip when Minshew comes in, super low average depth of target. You're getting Josh Downs a lot of work over the middle and just letting guys create in space. 
uh, whereas it was more kind of shots and, uh, you know, Richardson throwing downfield obviously has a cannon of an arm. Uh, I think Steichen's been great. I'm going to ask you this, and again, you've got the reflection of three-quarters of play to make this comparison because a lot of people have suggested, you know what, this team, you want to see Richardson get used to things, get acclimated, and grow, but it's, in this case, Menchu that gives this team, this offense, a better chance to be more productive, especially where it stands right now. Is that your belief? I mean, you probably could make the argument. You know, I think Minshew is one of the better backups across the NFL. You know, I just mentioned Philadelphia. Minshew comes in last year against the Dallas Cowboys when Jalen Hurts gets hurt um, and put up, what, like 30-something points, you know, on Christmas Eve uh, in that game against one of the best defenses in the NFL. So, you know, you're comparing a rookie who's made 13 college starts and now one-and-a-half NFL starts to a seasoned veteran that is going to just sit back, trust his offensive line, and like I said, he had a six-yard average depth of target. He didn't push the ball downfield much at all, you know, but they, were, they had a lead at that point. They, they could play relatively safe. You know, while I think you can make the argument, the ceiling is obviously astronomically higher with Anthony Richardson, and you have to let him learn, let him grow, let him make those mistakes, let him miss. You know, I, I, there, was a, there was a play where Alec Pierce was wide open for a walk-in 60-yard touchdown at one point that I think Richardson will see with more time. You, you have to give him that time. So Brad Spielberger, PFF with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Potline. All right, the competition for the Colts is Baltimore. The Ravens 2-0, wins over Houston, and and then really helping again shut down and send Cincinnati to an 0-2 start within now uh, the AFC North. What, what's impressed you at the beginning, both sides of the football, with this 2-0 start in Baltimore? Yeah, they deserve a ton of credit for this past week in particular against Cincinnati. I know the Bengals are out of sorts, but they come into this game. They're missing Marlon Humphrey, their number one corner. Marcus Williams, their number one safety. Uh, and defensive coordinator Mike McDonald has just owned Joe Burrow and the Bengals the last three times they've played now. Uh, no, I guess four times because they played in the playoffs last year as well. Um, and missing all those guys, he had a bunch of simulated pressures. I think that is going to throw either quarterback that plays in this game for a loop, meaning, you know, you're showing seven guys the line. You have no clue who's actually rushing, who's going to drop back in coverage. I think he's been phenomenal there. A lot of stunts up front as well. You know, so getting, creating rushing lanes for his pass rush, which I think is like an at-league average unit. They have talent. They have some good young players, but it's not, you know, a loaded Baltimore Ravens defensive line like we've seen. So the defense has been coached phenomenally, certainly has talent, but, but even better. And the flip side of the offense, without left tackle Ronnie Stanley last week, without center Tyler Lindebaum last week, probably their two best offensive linemen, Offensive coordinator Todd Munkin, in a new hire this offseason, has really unlocked Lamar Jackson. I mean, he has been phenomenal, phenomenal. He had a bunch of incredible throws. The deep ball to Zay Flowers down the left seam was an absolute dart at a couple of the really nice plays. I thought we'd see a little bit more time before the offense gelled to this level. They're already off and flying. Has Dobbins now being done for the season, and obviously I think it was half of the first game and then all of the week two win in Cincinnati. What has been the effect with Gus Edwards now taking over? And it, what are the, what's the delicate balance, I guess, offensively between running and having Lamar Jackson still utilize that skill set that he has compared to now throwing the football out there? Because of the offseason, they go out there and replenish. They go out there and get some skill position guys. What's been that dynamic through the first two weeks of the season with that in mind offensively? 
Yeah, so the beauty of having Lamar Jackson in an offense, and we're going to see it in Indianapolis as well with Anthony Richardson, is the gravity that he has in the run game. It makes it a, a running back's dream to play in that offense because – Opposing defenses probably need to keep a spy, a linebacker, a safety, whatever, or a defensive lineman that is really just keyed in on, I'm the guy who's supposed to set the edge, not let Lamar Jackson get outside of me. I kind of should just ignore everything else. And obviously when you do that, it maybe takes a player out of the box or just takes a player out of a certain gap in the run fit and therefore creates lanes for the Ravens running back. So, look, I think losing Dobbins, you lose explosiveness. You lose a guy that can break off. 30, 40-yard rushes that Gus Edwards just really can't do. But he's still going to average five, six yards a carry. Um, You know, it might be five, six yards in a cloud of dust almost every time. But he's going to have effective rushes um, because of how hard it is to defend this offense. All right. Brad, I do want to talk about their defense. I mean, normally it's a defense that gets after the quarterback, plays you physically. Are they upholding what we know that Ravens defense to be in the first two weeks of the season? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, like I said, down a couple of really, really important players, highly paid players. Um, they, they've been great, you know, and, and coming into this season, my biggest question mark was you have third year edge rusher Odafe Owe, uh, you know, second year guy David Ajabo from Michigan who tore his Achilles last year, so kind of didn't really play as a rookie. Both of those guys look pretty good. Justin Matabuke on the interior is a fourth year player on a rookie deal. You know, Travis Jones, a third round pick last year, like, I'm going through all these names, and we're used to the Justin Houstons and Calais Campbells and all these wily veterans. They handed over the keys to a bunch of young guys that certainly are, you know, can still get better. But, but that front, and then obviously you know, one of the best linebacking duos in the NFL, maybe the best, with Roquan Smith and Patrick Queen, yeah, they've been fast, physical, they swarm the football, um, but also McDonald has just been really confusing opposing quarterbacks. I mentioned the simulated pressures. They also love to rotate coverage. So pre-snap, they'll show a certain look, and they'll rotate out of it post-snap. And that, that had Joe Burrow in a bind all afternoon. I want to look back to Sunday, if you don't mind, within the AFC South. Was Jacksonville in single digits offensive output and that loss to the Chiefs at home more about the Chiefs being the Chiefs or Jacksonville not nearly as good what people would talk about them being entering the season? No, I think for them, the offensive line, you know, with Cam Robinson getting suspended, you have to reshuffle the entire line. You have a rookie in Anton Harrison out of Oklahoma, who I did really like, but, you know, younger player, I want to say he's 20 20 years old on draft night, probably 21 now, and a guy that probably shouldn't have started right out of the gate, but kind of was forced to because of the suspensions. They've had injuries to the interior as well. Brandon Sheriff's been hurt in week one. Uh, Ben Bars, their left guard, coming into the year, got hurt, probably out for the season. So not making excuses or anything like that. Um, but but they just they, they really cannot protect Lawrence right now, and it's caused problems. And then I will say, though, the Chiefs defense is really, really good. I mean, we saw them without Chris Jones hold the Detroit Lions to 14 points on offense. And then, and then, and then Chris Jones was a single-handedly a, a game wrecker in, in his performance. Um, I mean, it was just was out of this world. So I think it's more the Chiefs defense and the Jags offensive line. You know, Robinson comes back in week five. I, I think they'll figure it out. All right. Titans get their first win of the season in overtime and take the Chargers to zero and two. That's one of the major surprises if I think you look around the NFL. But what, what about the Titans putting up 27, getting it done in overtime? Impressions, shortcomings you might see through the first two weeks of that Tennessee team. 
Yeah, yeah, you know, I think it really is just an epic failure by the Chargers defense, uh, which is crazy considering, you know, Rand Staley is the head coach and is a defensive play caller. They poured resources into that unit. And, and for the Titans, their offensive line might be the worst on paper in the NFL. And, and Joey Bosa and Khalil Mack were relatively ineffective in that game. You know, the interior for the Chargers doesn't really have a pass rusher. And Morgan Fox is a good rotational player. He did have a sack in that game. But, but Tannehill – after week one against the Saints, being able to do nothing, three interceptions, a bunch of sacks, did, did absolutely nothing, was, was phenomenal. It had one of the better games he's had in years, um, which is just a massive, massive indictment on the Chargers. But, yeah, look, the Titans and Mike Vrabel, they're going to be coached well. They're going to execute well. They're the best run defense in the NFL and have been for a couple of years now. Um, and, and they just find a way to win football games. Uh, Brad Spielberger of PFF giving us updates through two weeks of the season, as he always does every Tuesday right here on 93.5 and 107.5, the fan on the Indy, on the uh, Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I, I'm curious, as far as the Bills were concerned, I, I wanted to cover that offense up with a lot of dirt after week number one and what took place in Jersey and that loss in overtime to the Jets. And I wanted to question the amount of weapons they have. And then I'm curious, you had Cook go for a buck 23, Gabe Davis nearly 100 yards and a touchdown. So you had that offense get back in gear. Was that more about that offense being certainly more legit and me judging way too early or more about the Raiders defense that didn't show in Buffalo? I actually share all of your concerns. I really do think against good defenses, they, they don't have enough pass-catching weapons. Um, you know, Gabe Davis is an okay number two receiver, but disappears against good corners all the time. You know, rookie Dalton Kincaid, the tight end, has already made a bunch of plays. Dawson Knox seems you know, revitalized now that the team spent a first-round pick on another tight end. Uh, they've done things differently now with personnel, being able to put out two tight ends in the football field. And James Cook is certainly coming into his own after a quiet rookie season. But but I think it also talks about how good that Jets defense is. I know, you know the Cowboys were able to move the football. Uh, you know, CeeDee Lamb had a huge day. They score a bunch of points. Obviously, their defense was also just dominating Zach Wilson and the Jets offense. But, no, the Bills will get back on track. But I, I agree with you. I have concerns about their offensive line and the depth in their weaponry. Is it enough when you're going up against the elite teams in the AFC? You know, we'll, we'll see. Uh, Lions uh, read too many of the headlines, or because when you watch Seattle lose at home and they're open to the Rams, uh, that was a red flag. And then you go into Detroit. I mean, you really do own most of that game. A uh, little come from behind action. Um, you know, Lions obviously early on looked good, stepped up late, losing in overtime. Was that about the Lions maybe reading a lot of those those headlines about themselves, or was that more about the Seahawks just being road impressive Sunday? I think Seattle came to play. And, you know, I think they bounced back from, like you said, it was, for me, the most surprising week one outcome across the entire NFL. I think in that game, though, they had one half in the second half or maybe the third quarter where they did nothing, like truly could not move the football at all. Um, and, and I think you're just that's not going to happen every week. They have an explosive offense. When you have DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, and rookie Jackson Smith and Jigba, you know, all playing well, they're going to score a whole lot of points. And, and they deserve credit. They were missing both starting tackles in that game and still hung 37 points on the Detroit Lions defense, which not a great unit, but, but not a terrible unit. So I think it was more about Seattle. I think Detroit also will be fine. I like them to bounce back and beat Atlanta at home this week. 
Uh, but Seattle just has laid an egg week one and, and looked more like themselves in week two. Hey, Brad, I'm curious, too, before I let you go. Commanders beat the Broncos on Sunday, 35-33. And we all know last year, and so much of that blame in Denver was placed on you know Nathaniel Hackett, who's no longer there, and their quarterback, Russell Wilson. Um, and, and, and obviously now you get a situation where Russell Wilson gets a reboot with a coach that has a great history of high level of winning in Sean Payton. He told his quarterback to stop being such a politician and, and worry about football. How has that been? Even with the 0-2 start, how has that been for Russell Wilson through the first two weeks in Denver? Yeah, this is classic football. The offense has looked much better. You know, in a lot of different metrics, they've been around a top 10 offense. They did have a Hail Mary, you know, that kind of boosts some of those numbers. But they stayed ahead of schedule. They've been successful at getting first downs and maintaining series. And obviously they couldn't do a darn thing last year on offense. But, of course, you let Ajiro Avero, the defensive coordinator, go. He's now in Carolina, where I think he's been exceptional. Um, and, and you bring in Vance Joseph, and the Broncos' defense has been horrific. So, you know, it's funny. Last year the defense was elite, truly elite defense last year, and the offense couldn't do a thing. Now the offense is actually playing pretty well, uh, and the defense can't stop a nosebleed. So that, that's just football for you. All right, what do you think Cleveland ends up doing as far as a running back is concerned with the loss of Nick Chubb and what was a horrific injury last night? Yeah, so sad to see. You know, I think one of the better pure runners in the NFL. Looks like Kareem Hunt, by the way, according to ESPN, is paying a visit to the Browns today. Does he reemerge there? There you go. So, I've obviously been there before. I still think, even if they do re-sign Kareem Hunt, I think this is Jerome Ford's backfield. We saw him last night, broke off the 70-yard run where he went down at the one-yard line. But he's a three-down back to me. He can catch the ball, he can pass protect, and he obviously is clearly, you know, had a bunch of really nice runs last night against the Pittsburgh Steelers. So, yeah, they'll probably add some help. But I think this is Jerome Ford's job to lose for right now. So, the, the injuries around the NFL at the running back position, and the situation with Jonathan Taylor, does that add to it in a positive or take even more away from Taylor's situation right now? How do you view that? Yeah, I mean, if you're him, you're sitting there, Saquon Barkley out for three weeks, you know, it doesn't help his, his contract prospects. He has all these incentives tied to production that become infinitely harder to earn now because he misses maybe you know around three weeks of the report. Um, I mean, look, Taylor has to play. He he cannot allow his contract to toll and, and be a you know a fourth year player again next year. He has to get in the football game and and not you know continue this battle back and forth. But I'm sure at the same time he's also saying, yeah, this is why I wanted to get paid. You know, you're seeing why I'm all about this. Nick Chubb, for example, um, you know, got paid after his third season, was elite for two more years. And now, I mean, I hope this isn't true, but, I mean, we might never see that Nick Chubb ever again. That's how bad that injury was. That's why these guys got to get paid, you know, after three years. That's uh yeah well and you can certainly understand why he was he was pushing for it. I mean obviously people are going to look at both sides and I, I think around here more people side, you know, with the Colts organizationally speaking. But you can certainly see why that he wanted wanted to get paid when you watch what takes place here around the NFL right now. What are you writing about? Yep, so I got an article coming out tomorrow about the biggest impact free agent additions across the NFL. Only been two weeks, but I think there's been some really impactful uh, additions across the NFL so far. Give me Uh, one. Give, Give me one. Not necessarily at the top of your list, but give me one. Yeah, sure. I I think the Atlanta Falcons have a couple on there, and I'll give you one of them. Um, Is linebacker Caden Ellis, kind of a name that flew under the radar, barely played for the Saints until his fourth year last year. Um, He's kind of a jack-of-all-trades. He can can rush the passer. He can cover. He can play against the run. He's been great so far. 
right, we'll check it out. Brad Spielberger again with us from Pro Football Focus. Every Tuesday right here with a look around the NFL, and especially through two weeks of the season, as always, via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Brad, I appreciate you. We'll do it again next Tuesday. Sounds great. Thank you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Fresh off a round of 18, I'm assuming on his home course, that is Prairie View, Bob Kravitz joins us. Now, Bob Kravitz, of course, has the uh, the column, and it's uh incredibly good as always musings of an old sports writer that you can find substack.com slash at bob kravitz bob joins us now um you got vibes with andrew luck of the past with anthony richardson in the present yeah it scares me to death you know i mean certainly if i was you know if i was a fan i I, you know i'd be worried about it i mean you know look this is something that we're going to have to deal with um, for as long as Anthony Richardson plays here, you know, he's a running quarterback. Uh, he's going to be in harm's way. Uh, so you have to be concerned about his health and welfare. And, you know, I think he learned a valuable lesson the other day that when you're, you're going anywhere, you got to go hundred percent. You can't slow down heading into the end zone. I guess he never saw that Stewart guy. Uh, coming, but uh, you got to go. You got to assume. I, I, I would guess you would have to assume in this case, right? I mean, he right, just do. Right. Yeah, but you got to you got to run through the tape. You know, if we're talking. Yeah. Bob, are you still there? Did you disappear? Oh, there you go. I'm sorry, you disappeared for a moment. Go ahead and and tell me. You, we missed a couple of words of what you said. You said running through the okay. tape. Yeah, through the tape. I mean, uh, because he slowed down. You know. Uh, downshifted just a little bit. I thought that gave uh, Stewart a couple of seconds to catch up and, and lay a pretty good lick on him. So, you know, I think he learned a valuable lesson, and hopefully he's back in the next week or two. Uh, any good signs that you've heard that you have seen so far that would help, yeah, help you, you know, maybe guess whether or not he's going to play? I said when asked on Sunday, and, and this was how they handled um, – this, this is, you know, how they'd handled it so far that – I I would be hard pressed to say that he was going to play, but I mean these are all just throwing darts at the dartboard at this time because you don't really know anything until you get to the latter portions of the week and see what happens practice wise and see where he right. is within that concussion protocol. Well, well, the thing is, you know, the star had something interesting the other day um, that some, I, I forget the exact numbers, but roughly twenty twenty two percent of guys who suffer concussions come back that week uh the vast majority are are two weeks so you know based on that i would totally guess that he probably won't be uh, available for baltimore but again you know i i I, concussions are are, they're all unique and everybody recovers differently it's it's a brain injury for god's sake so um you know we'll have to wait and see uh if you're looking for information from uh, shane steichen good luck (laughs) <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if it comes in like a four-word answer, then yes, yeah. it'll be there. So, yeah. That's, exactly. that's just how it is. I, you know what? I don't think he's ever going to be any different than he is right now. Do you Do you think nope. he evolves into being more of 
I don't want to call yeah. it an open book, but more of a, a longer worded answer, because I think in, in, in terms of Shane Steichen, and I hate to say this, but it kind of is what it is, right? He's, uh, he's, he's like a nice Belichick. You know, he doesn't say very much. He's very uh, – co- plays everything right. close to the vest. You don't get the sense that he thinks we're a bunch of idiots or that he hates us the way uh, Belichick does. But that's just kind of the way he rolls. And, and, you know, I'm perfectly fine with it. I mean, you don't have to take care of the media to be a good coach, you know. I mean, it's nice for the media to have a Frank Reich or a Chuck Pagano who give you really thoughtful answers and, you know, you know uh, humor and everything else. But, um, look, you know, you just if he wins – it doesn't matter. If he wins, it doesn't matter. And I thought he coached a hell of a game the other day. Um, you know, I thought that that fourth down maneuver when he did like a, a hockey line change and forced Houston to use uh, one of its timeouts, I thought that was a brilliant maneuver. Um, and, you know, the fact that uh, he was able to, uh, you know, get Minshew in there and they didn't miss a beat offensively uh, until late when they uh, they kind of throttled down but no I, I you know it's 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 fine so Bob Kravitz on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Highline I saw this morning where Jeff Saturday was back with yeah. ESPN I am curious if we should ever expect to hear the real story because I, I can't imagine this would this would make something that would be of interest for a while on how everything went down and what really went down from start to finish of his interim reign as coach a year ago. Do you think we'll ever get even bits and pieces of the actual story? Well, I, I think I think Jeff will probably talk about it at some point. Um, you know, I don't think he's going to talk to the local media about it necessarily because I think he was – Pretty, uh, pretty upset by the way we we handled his uh, interim uh, period uh, that he coached. Uh, but I would think you know somebody from ESPN will probably write it at some point. Uh, I have not reached out to Jeff uh, in a long time. He, you know, I mean, I'm happy for him. He's good on TV. And I think that's probably what he needs to do. See, I, I know uh, from what I was told, I shouldn't say I know, but from what I was told, uh, obviously the the petition that was put forth a year ago about uh, hopefully not bringing him back as a head coach and that petition obviously went online. Um, I, I, from what I was told, you know that obviously didn't make him happy as somebody that had put in so much in the past as a player. Right. Uh, here with this this Colts team, did did he feel the same way about those that wrote about this team and covered this team last year? Well, apparently he he reached out to a couple of the writers to uh, to you know uh, not complain but just just converse about what's being written. He never did with me, and I don't know if that's because he knows it's a hopeless cause or if he just didn't you know didn't have any problem with what i was writing so but he did reach out to some writers and uh you know uh have conversations with them and that's cool you know i i i always tell uh athletes and, and coaches if you got a problem with something i wrote and just just freaking call me you, you got my number and i'm i'm happy to uh 
take a, another look at what I wrote and see if it was fair or not. So Bob Kravitz with us. We got two weeks to look back here and reflect. Anthony Richardson, Bryce Young, um, and, and certainly C.J. Stroud, which we saw on Sunday as well. Give me some of your impressions on the rookie quarterbacks that are always going to be put up against one another and evaluated against one another. Give me your thoughts through the first two weeks of the season. Well, I think I think Anthony's looks terrific. I mean, you know, his, the, his he's uh, averaging about what sixty four percent completion. Um, the the big concern with him coming in was was uh, you know uh, wh- whether he could hit an open receiver, especially in the short and intermediate game. And he's looked really good. Um, I think of the three rookies, he's probably looked the best. I mean, Stroud Stroud put up big numbers the other day, but. I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but, you know, it's 384 yards, and I, I got to guess that about 200 of them were in the last quarter, quarter and a half when the Colts had a pretty sizable lead and were just playing prevent defense. Um, I watched uh, Bryce Young. One thing that Mike Lombardi, my friend, brought up, he said, you know, you can't protect this kid, but you got five guys out in the, in the, in the uh, you know, going out for passes. That doesn't make any sense. So I, I didn't think he had a whole heck of a lot of help, but he's looked – he has not looked great uh, so far. But I, I think all three of those guys are going to be real solid. Uh, but, yeah, so far I think Anthony's been the best of the lot. See, I, I thought Stroud looked good, and I thought Stroud looked good more so than anything else is he had absolutely zero outside of Collins to work with. Right, I mean, right. nothing. And no running game. No running game. And nothing. And I, I thought the coaching sucked. I mean, I, I thought that the situation he was placed in, they were down 21, and it was like a glacier flowing offensively. It was unbelievable. Yeah. I, I'm sitting there talking to my wife, you know, and I'm like, do these guys think they're ahead by yeah. 14? I was shocked at the lack of urgency by, by Houston in that game. They were down, what, 31 to 10? And they're just taking their sweet. Well, they were down two scores. They were down eleven, and there's six minutes left, and they're just taking their sweet time. I, I, I don't know what they were doing. I, I really don't. I, I just thought he had zero around him, and for him to get through it and 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 put up those numbers, and and at least I mean there was some interest late. He had it, and I, I, I did. I, I was impressed with that. I've obviously been impressed with Richardson. And I saw the second half of Young, and yeah, I just go like, yeah. what's he? Some people tell me that maybe you get some of the similar situations of play calling and and lack of creativity offensively with Frank Reich in Carolina. Then you also hear the fact that there's just not a lot around him, and you're there's talking about Thielen and you know Shark and and guys like that to throw to. It's not a robust offensive productivity wise for your rookie quarterback. No, and they and they don't protect him. You know? No, I mean and he, he's a little guy. Um, you know, you you've got to give him give him uh, protection if he's going to do anything. I I still think he's going to be really good. I, I despite the the lack of size, I think he's going to be fine as long as he can stay healthy. The funny thing is that you know everybody is talking about uh, Anthony, uh, you know, uh, and and the injuries. You know, everybody thought that. Uh, What's his name? Uh, yeah, Bryce Young was going to be the guy who was going to get beat up, and yet it's 
the six four, two hundred and forty four pound guy who's dealing with these injuries, and he's just got to learn to protect himself. It's as simple as that. Yeah, but because they're going to keep on coming because this offense isn't going to change, and you know this offense prioritizes him being able to move and use his legs. And that's what the difference is. I, I look at Luck as, you know, Luck was opportunistic, mobile, right. extending the play. And remember, Bob, the early years of that, it was his signature and everybody loved it. Look at him extending the play. Mm-hmm. And then when he took so many hits, there was like a breaking point with that initial injury to where, all right, this is not good anymore. And unfortunately, the ball was already rolling so fast down the hill that there was no stopping it. And that's yeah. that's yeah. where you found yourself. Absolutely. You know, I mean, Andrew, Andrew is reckless. You know, I remember that yeah. shot he took against, uh, I think it was the Broncos, when he ended up with a messed up spleen or kidney or some internal organ. But, you know, the guy, poor guy's urinating blood after the game, and uh, that that's never a good thing. No. So, no. <laughs> so, uh, uh, yeah, but, you know, with Anthony, you're going to have, you're going to have these called, you know, designed runs. And he's going to be in harm's way. And so I, I think this is going to be an issue that he, he's got to have to learn. You know, the education of uh, Anthony Richardson, I think this is part of the part of the education process. So Bob Kravitz, again, has his column, and you can find amusings of adult sports writer, substack.com slash at Bob Kravitz is where you go. For that, all right, with, with Nick Chubb last night, Saquon Barkley is dinged up. You've got a myriad of running backs around the NFL uh, that are injured right now, starting running backs, and then guys taking their place. Uh, does this help or hinder the Jonathan Taylor cause as it stands? I don't think it has any impact, really. I mean, you know, it goes both ways. In, in one sense, I understand, you completely understand why running backs – want to get paid and they want to get paid now because they're always in harm's way and we see what's happened with uh, several running backs just in this past weekend at the same time you see why management doesn't want to make that long-term commitment to running backs because they are so liable to get hurt so you know i i don't think it buttresses either argument um but i Look, it's going to get weird after four games. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what the uh, the uh, options are, but he's going to, you know, you saw the NFL. Yeah, there was a very thinly veiled the pointing of the finger yesterday. I was going to ask your opinion right. on that, too. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, it's pretty clear. I mean, look, we know the guy's ankle is not screwed up. He had surgery back in January. It's a two- to four-week recovery. Here we are seven, eight months later, and this crap's still going on. No, I mean, he's not hurt. I'm sorry. I just I do not believe it for one second. Um, you know, where you go from here, I'm not sure. It's, uh, it's going to get real complicated. Uh, you know, he's going to have to make a decision. Do I play or do I take the fines? Um, you know, he's also got to worry about uh, getting his six games in this year so that his contract – rolls over into next year because if he doesn't play six games uh, he's still on his rookie contract he's still on the third third year of his contract so that that's a real problem so when Steichen mentioned they look forward to his return <laughs> what did he mean by that <laughs> what do you think he meant by that oh I think there's anything else uh, other than no comment 
Yeah, it's just yeah, it's the same as no comment. It's <laughs> well, I, I yeah, I, I I don't see how this thing gets fixed. I really don't. Uh, I you know whether he gets suspended or fined or whatever. Um, now, in fact, I'm going to start making some calls tomorrow just to find out what some of the options are that Chris Ballard may have and, and the options that Jonathan Taylor has. I mean, there's, the, the whole situation can't be prolonged. There has to be some definitive decision either way after the next two weeks here. And then, right. I, I mean, I like there, there's stuff I, I'm assuming uh, contractually and, and something with the NFL – um, that I'm sure that I'm completely unaware of in this, but yeah, it kind of me, me too. Me too. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I don't know what the options are. Uh, like I said, I'm going to start making some calls tomorrow and re, you know reach out to some people. But um, you know he, he's he's clearly healthy. He's you know he had that video that he did at the Colts facility. Yeah. I do think it's interesting and good that the Colts don't really want him around anymore. Um, you know, while he's on the pup list, um, they're they're having him come and do rehab in the morning, and then he gets the hell out of there. He's not going. He's not at the games. He's not in the locker room. So, you know, I think that's a good thing. But yeah, this is uh, this is just an ugly mess. And you know, you see Chris Jones and you see Boza and all these other guys. You know, they're holding out and they get signed, but nothing's happening with Jonathan Taylor. Yeah. And it just it it kind of seems like with both of those situations, uh, from an organizational standpoint, it it did not get as bad and as negative as ultimately it got with the Colts as far as their running back is concerned. You know, I mean, everybody kind of kept, you know, th- these guys. You, you get the holdout from Jones. He's obviously in a you know a box seat, you know, in a suite watching that yeah. opener on a Thursday night. But yeah, I don't know how contentious or lack thereof it it might have been behind the scenes it just didn't seem like it and then it was in front of the stinking nfl world in terms of the colts and taylor here right but you know they were they were finding of course once they signed him they they erase gave him all the fines so um it's been weird like the the colts are the colts i think could have been harsher in the way they're dealing with taylor i think they're trying to play nice nice with him um I think there's still some thought that he might he might cave, but uh, I, I don't see it happening. Yeah, I, I like sitting here right now, Bob. I don't see there any way around something like that. And one would be option wise, him caving. I, I just don't I don't see any option. I mean, he's, like you mentioned earlier, and we've talked about he's got to play at some point. And if yeah. the Colts don't trade him and he's healthy, what's the other option for him? I mean, I, I guess you could just get fined and lose money, but spend it, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I really don't. I mean, I'm uh, I'm curious to find out myself <laughs> what what the options are in the next couple of uh, next couple of weeks. All right, uh, what else are you going to be writing about here in the future? And you're on the road with Hagen and I coming up on Friday to Brown yeah, County. Yeah, I'm yep. looking forward to that. Uh, so I'll, I'm going to go down to uh, the the uh, uh, to IU tomorrow. They have an immediate day. So uh, I'm thinking Thursday uh, morning I'll write something on Mike Woodson and the boys. Um, and, uh, of course, the Colts game on Sunday. Uh, yeah, but Friday night I'm looking forward to it. Uh, uh, playing golf in the afternoon. And then <laughs> you guys you guys are going to drive me down there and take care of me. And 
We'll go see the Furs and Squeeze. Yeah. What, what do you think and about? Go ahead. I didn't even know those two guys, those two 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 groups were still around. I oh, had yeah. no idea. Yeah, I had I, no idea they were still playing. I just saw the Psychedelic Furs a little over a year. That was the first band I saw at the Vogue out of COVID. And, right? Yeah, and then uh, Squeeze, I want to say it was, they were out on tour with Hall & Oates opening up for them maybe the year before last, I believe. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, all I'm, these bands realize you can, make, you can make money. I mean, look at somebody like Gordon Lightfoot. I mean, that dude toured basically until, unfortunately, he passed away and right, still making right. all that money. So, trying to, at least. Yeah. So. You, know, you know you're getting older when virtually every band that you grow up with, <laughs> they're either dead yeah. or, uh, or, or they've broken up about 15 years earlier. So, I'm glad these guys are still playing. I'm looking forward to going down with you and Hagen. We won't, be... get, we won't get in any trouble. No, none at all. None at all. It'll be a good time. I promise you that. Enjoy IU and Bloomington and, and Woodson of the gang tomorrow, Bob. All right, buddy. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Our next guest, one of the greatest things he's ever done outside of becoming the voice of the Colts, is when I was uh, blackballed and a hindrance to the show, if you remember, uh, down at the JW during the Super Bowl when it was here, uh, I made some unfortunate comments regarding Adam Schefter, and he cried like a little baby to ESPN and then got my ass in a sling, and then nobody from ESPN would go on with me during Super Bowl week, with it, which is really detrimental. And to save today, the voice of the Colts, Matt Taylor, who at the time was my producer because he booked what incredible actor-comedian. Matt, do you remember? I think it's got to be Adam Sandler. You booked right? Adam Sandler. Saved the week right there. I did. Yeah, thinking about that, I still have pictures of that interview. I still have pictures of you sitting with him. That seems like so long ago. you got to send that to me. I don't have pictures of that. Yeah, yeah, and Radio radio Row and the JW Marriott looking over, uh, what would that be? That would be left field, the victory field, uh, the Super Bowl. That was, a, that was a great week, man. I mean, we were you and I were both so busy that entire yep. week that looking back on it, it's a blur. But, uh, man, what a, what a fun time. I don't even know how the heck we even got to downtown the circle that week to park because it was just, I mean, road closure after road closure and party after party going on and, that was that was a good ass time. Man. I it so really much want to do that again. I I, I so mm-hmm. wish in my lifetime they would be able to obtain another Super Bowl. I I have some serious doubts on that ever happening again. But it certainly, it, it would be deserved because it was outstanding. But yeah, you're right. I yeah. mean, you and I, you you booked Adam Sandler. I got to stand next to Madonna. Remember when she walked in, <laughs> walked into the room yeah. at the JW Marriott. But Sandler was yeah. awesome. Sandler was awesome. Awesome, right up until he invited me to play pickup basketball the next yeah. morning at uh, at the field house, and then <laughs> nobody called me to go play. I was sitting on the edge of my bed ready to go, too. I remember that, because that was a Friday. We had Sandler on on a Friday, yep. and then the next day was supposedly the day they were going to play pickup hoop at, at the then Conseco Fieldhouse. And I was hurt. I, I got hurt Wednesday night playing basketball over at uh, <laughs> whatever Greenwood Christian is now. <laughs> so yeah. I got hurt there. I remember you you called me up. You're like, man, I haven't gotten a call yet. You know, it's noon. I don't know what time <laughs> no, to play in. 
I don't think I'm going to get a call. I'm like, yeah, I don't know, man. You might be shut out this time around. I took Playing so many food. drugs. I took so many painkillers, <laughs> and I was ready to go. I was ready to go, and then I found out that evidently I wasn't invited because I see pictures from the Pacers that had Sandler playing pickup with a bunch of dudes, including Casey King, the NASCAR driver. I thought you invited that clown oh, and not nice. me. Yeah. yeah, wasn't he, like, doing a movie with him? Wasn't he, like, making a cameo? He was really Probably. big back then. I mean, this is, you know, 10, yeah. 11 years ago. Yeah, I, he was – I remember seeing him on Radio Row. I mean, I mean, I, I hate to take too much credit for that because – No, no, you did. I mean, you, all the credit in the world. I was I well, screwed us. I completely – with my Schefter stuff, I screwed <laughs> us. And you remember, who did you ask? And they told you that they weren't allowed to go on with me. Well, it was whoever was handling uh, Mike and Mike. Okay. Because uh, they they were probably, you know, pubbing some book or pubbing. I mean, everybody's pubbing something on, on Radio Row that week. And there's handlers and PR guys everywhere, you know. So you just have to do the song and dance and get in line. And, you know, they asked me, you know, who I, who I was, where I was from, you know, what show I was on. And then I just remember the guys, like, the guys' eyebrows went way up. They're like, uh-oh, <laughs> I don't think I'm supposed to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, anybody from ESPN, which you know back then ESPN it, it, it was a behemoth. It, you yeah. know, it's, it's sort of a shell of itself now. But back then, man, I mean, the whole place was just ESPN. It was just crawling with analysts and writers and talk show hosts. And again, they're all either either on the air all day or they're pubbing something or they're doing a million different interviews. And yeah, you and I were just sort of in, in the corner, thanks to the to the Schefter feud. Uh, yeah, but, but we made it work. I think we had enough, yeah. you know, high a, a plus, you know, big name guests that week. But yeah, Sandler was he was the grand slam man. Now nah, you, yeah, I mean that's that made the entire week. It didn't matter who else you had on. I mean, you you nailed him <laughs> down and brought him on the show. I, I just remember we had some promotions people that were uh, in Pan Am Plaza with the ESPN folks, and I guess they were in line for lunch over there. And I forget, they were behind Van Pelt or somebody, and they were talking about how they went on Radio Row and they went in this market or that market, but, you know, we're not allowed to go on in Indy in the afternoon because of what JMV said about Adam. (laughs) Right right, right in front of him, I go, God, way to go, jerk. So, yeah, I I could have royally screwed us that week, but you saved the day. Yeah, you you made life easy on the producer, I can tell you that, man. All right. Well, making life... Easier on you know, Colts fans to enjoy, you know, get them some juice, get them fired up. That yeah. win in Houston, I think, did just that. And and obviously, you don't want to see Anthony Richardson in this situation ever. But it was interesting to see exactly what Gardner Minshew did when given the opportunity. And, and Matt, in fact, what he did was exactly what people thought he was going to do. And I'm assuming exactly what the, the Colts, in this case, and Shane Steichen felt he could do because they brought him in as the backup. I mean, he comes in. It's remarkable. I mean, I asked Shane Steichen uh, that exact same question on on our roundtable show last night. I mean, like, this guy comes in. He has no first-team practice reps all week long. He hasn't been taking, you know, starting quarterback reps really since the middle of training camp. Like, like, you know, that's the middle of August up at Grand Park. Uh, And then he comes in off the bench, right, out of the bullpen, no time to warm up. And he just goes out there and he leads three straight scoring drives. Uh, he's on fire in the second quarter for the game, completes like 83% of his passes. And the Colts, they were really never in danger of losing that game, you know, because, you know, Gardner Minshew comes in off the bench and just holds holds down the, the forward offensively. 
and just does what Gardner Minshew does, and that's just take what the defense gives them, incredibly accurate, getting a lot of guys involved, and there's just no panic. There's there's no reason for you know all the other guys, the the, the, uh, the ten other guys in the huddle, to not believe in Gardner Minshew because of the guy that he's been here this entire time since he signed back in March, but also just the player he's been throughout his entire career. He's just incredibly cool and steady, incredibly sure of himself, and he knows this playbook like the back of his hand. So, you know, when, when Shane Steichen has to see his starting quarterback go out and then has to put in Gardner Minshew, I mean, it's just like, all right, well, let's just do what we did in Philadelphia. I mean, this guy knows the playbook you know, maybe as good as I do. And we just go out there and we draw up what we were incredibly successful with uh, the last couple of years in Philadelphia. Jim Bob Cooter knew him really well. You know, he was a consultant at one time uh, in Philadelphia with with, uh, with Gardner Minshew. So uh, I was not at all shocked um, by that performance. In fact, I went over to the, the home radio booth with uh, Mark Vandermeer after the game kind of just talked about the game and shook hands and stuff like that. And he's like, Gardner Minshew, like, he's like the most underrated player in the NFL. And I said, you bet your bottom dollar he is, man, because that's exactly why the Colts signed him, because if Richardson goes out, they need a guy they can believe in, compete with, and win football games. And all of those things came to uh, fruition uh, starting in the second quarter two days ago. The other thing that they had done was run the football. And I gave the utmost credit to Zach Moss because, to me, I, I thought if there were differences in that game and certainly in level of play, there were. And listen, Houston's not any good, but still, you go down there and get a road win. But if there was a top-of-the-hill type of difference, to me, it was the running game and the 88 yards and the nearly five yards per clip. And really, the, the thing I noticed more so out of Moss, Matt, than anything else, was the yards that he got after contact. I mean, it, it just seemed like mm-hmm. if we were going to go back and watch the film, which you know I won't, but if we were going to do that, the yards after contact, it was heavy duty for him on Sunday afternoon in Houston. Yeah, I think the number was he averaged three yards uh, after contact, which is really, really good. I mean, that's that's a huge difference. I mean, that's that's the difference between second and eight and second and five. I mean, that that just... And, and Jim Bob Cooter today talked about that. I mean, when you have you know that sort of uh, grinding out mentality, and you are staying ahead of the chains, down and distance wise, I mean that that changes everything for your offense, and it opens up the entire playbook for the play caller. In this case, Shane Steichen. Um, yeah, so you're exactly right. Now, the thing going forward that you're going to have to monitor is all right. At the beginning of the season, without Jonathan Taylor, it was going to be running back by committee. Uh, you know, we know we know how that approach worked in game number one. Obviously, Moss wasn't a part of that. In game number two, it was all Moss. Moss was the committee, right? There was no committee other than Zach Moss. He was the only running back to, to tote the rock for the Colts. Um, you know, I looked it up. He played 56. I think the number was 56 of 57 snaps offensively for the game, which is 98%. And I think his, his highest number – participation-wise uh, in the offense for a game in his career was like in the 70s. So he just blew it out of the water. And, you know, he's coming off of that forearm injury. And, you know, I mean, he's still really, really uh, in, in great shape condition-wise. But, I mean, anytime you miss that amount of time, you know, you're going to get out of football shape just because you're not playing football. So I was really impressed with his conditioning, his durability, and just his fight to get yards after contact. And to keep that that running game, I mean, 88 yards, it's a really good game. But it's not like, 
you know, they're not going to be leading off Sunday night football, the pregame show with that performance. But considering, you know, where the offense was a week ago in the running game and just what they need yeah. in order to complement uh, whomever the quarterback is, that was really, really good to see. And you're supposed to do that against, a, you know, an inferior opponent, uh, an inferior defense. But, you know, Zach Moss gives them, you know, a one-cut downhill, grinded-out kind of banger style running back in the running game that the Colts desperately need now going forward. Saw where they picked up Sermon today and added him to the practice squad. I, I kind of wonder what may be the future there. People had asked me back during that Philly preseason game because he was the primary runner. They're trying to make a decision on who they're going to keep in that backfield, and ultimately he was the odd man out in Philadelphia. But a lot of people had asked me if the Colts should go out and get him, and then you fast forward, not nearly a month, but close to it, and he's back yeah. in the fold, at least on the practice squad right now here. Yeah, you're always trying to you know tinker with – you know, the back end of your roster and your practice squad, you know, so we'll see where, where he's in the mix with, with players like, you know, Jake Funk and uh, Deion Jackson and things like that. But, you know, I've always liked him. I mean, the the thing that stands out to me about Trey Sermon, like, you know, word association, I just remember that, that COVID year in the Big Ten championship game. Remember at Ohio State when he was like maybe second or third on the depth chart? They yeah. get really banged up at running back, and then he goes off for like, 250 rushing yards against Northwestern in the Big Ten championship game. Um, you know, so we saw him in the preseason. He was with Philly. You know, he got a steady dose of carries in that game against the Colts, you know, back in late August. Um, I think he's got 11 total carries in the NFL. But, you know, I think he's a, a guy that can definitely be in the mix, you know, to be called up if, if the Colts want to go that route as they try to just get incrementally better at running back. But it's definitely going to be a puzzle and something that they're kind of, you know, moving pieces around up until up until week five, and we all know what that means with Jonathan Taylor and the decision the Colts have to make there uh, after he comes off a of PUP. As a Reds fan, you think we're watching the uh, the final couple of weeks of Votto? Uh, you know what? I saw some clip yesterday on social media. You know, somebody asked him if he's starting to get reflective on if this upcoming homestand or the the current homestand, I should say, that they're on right now is is possibly going to be his last. And he gave a really good, thoughtful, uh, you know, introspective comment. Um, But I don't know, man. Like, I don't think there's any reason to think, like, he can't come back. I mean, is he under contract for one more year? I think he's got one more year after this year, if I'm not mistaken. Um, So there's no reason to think why he can't come back. It's just a matter of if the Reds would want to do that as they continue to invest and um, you know, see what they got in this this core of, of young players that they have. I know he's been banged up here as of late, but uh, I, I just hope for his sake they can make this this last couple of weeks here, these, these next couple of two weeks, make one final push, get him in the playoffs, and, and give him a signature signature moment, you know, in the month of October, which is the only thing missing on his career, which is all the naysayers have to point to, you know, with this Hall of Fame candidacy is that he's been on a bunch of bad teams, and he's never won a playoff series, and he's never really done anything in the postseason because he's played his entire career in Cincinnati. Yeah, I um, this has been enjoyable for me. And I know you as a Reds fan, you're probably paying attention to more Colt stuff right now than the Reds, and I understand that. It's It, it has been – June would have been enough for me considering the recent history of being a Reds oh, yeah. fan. But them being where they are right now in contention with this little time left in the season, um, I, I'm going to look back at this, I think, regardless fondly because it got me reengaged with this team again. 
Well, you just talked about it. June, I mean, June was historically yeah. fun as a Red right. fan because they were on that winning streak. They were hitting bombs. They were beating great teams. They were having all these come-from-behind wins. And then July hit, right? The All-Star game hit, and then it went downhill. July was just like, no, oh, man, here we go again. But they've definitely, you know, steadied the ship. They've, they've treaded water. I think they've played some 500 baseball here in the back half of July and August, which is why they're in the position that they're in right now. And it's it's certainly a jumbled mess with the Cubs and the, you know, the Diamondbacks and the Giants and the Marlins all in the mix for, you know, those three wild card spots. But I completely agree with you. I mean, every time somebody asks me about this season, they know how hardcore of a Reds fan I am. I'm just like, this is so enjoyable. Yep. Uh, I'm going to I'm gonna enjoy it, and, and I don't get upset when they lose. I don't get upset when they go on three or four game losing skids like they did earlier this summer because you've had just such disappointing seasons up until then. You didn't know what the plan was. You know, you had trades and you had, you know, guys leaving. They were shedding uh, costs and contracts and all of that stuff. And going into the season, you had no idea what to expect. You certainly didn't expect this. So they're ahead of schedule. So you're along for the ride. You're just hoping for the best. And, you know, I, I just remember whatever year it was, John, like 2011, 2012. Remember when the Nationals had Steven Strasburg and they shut him down? He's coming off an injury. They were going to make the playoffs, but they shut Strasburg yeah, down. exactly. Right before the playoffs because they said, well, he's reached his, his inning limit. Yeah. We don't want we, we to test that arm. It's like, no, you're going to make the playoffs in baseball. Like, that's really hard to do. You play 162 games. No matter how good your roster is the upcoming season, nothing's guaranteed. Like, there's not a given that you're going to make the playoffs next season that includes Strasburg. So yep. go for it now. That's kind of where I'm at right now with the Reds. Like, let's go for it. Let's put all of our chips in. Nothing's guaranteed next year despite this great nucleus. And I just want to see how far it goes. I'm, I'm excited for it. So Matt Taylor, voice of the Colts, of course, coming up on Sunday, 1 o'clock is that kick in Baltimore. Countdown to kickoffs at noon. And we'll be live in Carmel from a road touchdown town for the Colts pregame huddle beginning at 10 a.m. up in Carmel on Sunday morning. The voice of the Colts, Matt Taylor, via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Matt, I appreciate you, buddy. We'll talk, I'm sure, off the air later on this week. Have a good one. You got it, man. Anytime. Be good. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline right now. Uh, the fifth quarter huddle, he's a part of that. High school football every week, probably something or other every week. Uh, Indy 11 as well. Greg Rakestraw is with us. So um, by now, should we all be close to um, as getting uh, some kind of license as a physician and as a doctor uh, dealing with the Colts team? Are we, are we anywhere near that right now, Greg? Um, I'm sure 31 of the markets feel the exact same way. I'm sure Houston is lamenting their lack of offensive linemen. The Browns are lamenting their lack of a running back. And we uh, are now concussion experts yeah. uh, with, 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 with a running quarterback. So that's just life in the National Football League, my friend. If you, um, if you were a wagering fella, would you wager participation from Richardson Sunday or deactivation from Richardson Sunday? Um, I'm not sure I'd be wagering just yet. I think I'd wait to kind of see how things play out Wednesday or Thursday. So right. I really think it's it's fifty fifty. You know, 
I think the signs so far tend to point in the right direction. Uh, I could also see the Indianapolis Colts erring on the side of caution, given the team in which they are playing in terms of the Baltimore Ravens. So uh, I, I think his status in terms of practice tomorrow and Thursday and just kind of the general attitude about him practicing uh, tomorrow is going to tell us a great deal as to whether he's playing on Sunday or not. Do you think this is a cautionary tale? How do you view this game in terms of, hey, uh, we know what the Colts are, we know what the Ravens are so far. Where do you place that as far as prioritizing whether or not you believe he should play? Again, if he's healthy, play him. Because, because you have to learn. Uh, everything from him is about getting experience, and you know that experience was shortened uh, against the Houston Texans now. Are the Houston Texans probably one of the worst teams they're going to play this year? Yeah, probably. Uh, but it's still much-needed game experience for a guy that, as we have well documented, started all of 13 games at the University of Florida. So um, for him to make the progress that everybody hopes that he is going to make, um, you got to play against the, the, the best teams. Uh, and so I, I think it really comes down to if he's healthy, he's playing on Sunday. And if not – he won't. As simple as that. It's uh, Greg Rakestraw who joins us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. The Colts fifth quarter huddle. That is the postgame show with he and Bill Brooks. Again, coming at you on Sunday after the Ravens-Colts matchup in Baltimore. I mentioned I thought the most important, and it was just getting up off the mat in terms of the running game, was Zach Moss on Sunday and that win over Houston. Where would you point the finger at? This was something that was most important in the grand scheme of that particular win. Well, it's huge. I mean, let's face it, the offensive line blocked better. And again, they were not facing the caliber of defensive line that they did in week number one. But I thought Zach Moss did a great job of finishing off runs. Another thing that I would say, I'm not sure that, that you know, 18 carries for 88 yards and a touchdown – needed further explanation after 16 carries for 25 yards from the running back position. But most of Moss's carries came after Anthony Richardson left the game. And in other words, if it's a running play, defense is focused on number 21. They're not having to look at the quarterback because Gardner Minshew can move in the pocket to keep a play going. They're not going to call many design runs for Gardner Minshew or on the run pass option. Uh, it's, it's not going to be the quarterback keeper. It's going to be hand the ball to Moss. So, Zach Moss was a wonderful addition for the Indianapolis Colts from week one to week two. But again, much like every, almost every other aspect of this game, business is going to pick up. You know, Baltimore is, is because the Colts' schedule isn't terribly difficult, it's one of the best teams the Colts are going to play all year. Uh, and so we will learn a lot more about this football team, including the running game, come Sunday afternoon. What are we learning about the uh, two collegiate teams most followed around here, being Purdue and Indiana, uh, most of which I'm assuming the fan bases collectively didn't really want to know? Yeah, I mean, I, I think almost now we're hopeful that those two teams at least have five wins when they play each other in the bucket game on Thanksgiving weekend. It is possible that both teams know it's their last game of the season, meaning they've got four or less wins going into it. Um you know, Purdue's in a different place than Indiana, uh, but I also do think there is a little more grace for Purdue just because of the fact that it is a, a new head coach and a new head coaching staff and a schedule. While Purdue's has, has been easier because of geography than Indiana's has in most years, that is not the case this year. And so who do I think is the better football team right now? I think Purdue is. It doesn't mean Indiana can't beat Purdue, 
but I think Purdue is generally the better football team. Who was the because of yeah. the, Go ahead. I'm sorry. Who was the most disappointing? You, you said in terms of a little more of a grace period with a new head coach in West Lafayette, and then obviously Tom Allen. But the shortcomings, the major shortcomings with that team. Who who are you more disappointed with with this start? I'm not, it's hard for me to say just because I think big picture I'm more disappointed in Indiana just because of what the last two years have been like after that seemingly what was like a comet in 2020. You know, the, the, the season and, and the way that results happened in beating Penn State and beating Michigan and being competitive with Ohio State and that just hasn't been replicated Other and, and throw the Wisconsin win in, in that season too. And that just hasn't been replicated other than a six or seven week window where nobody could actually go to the game to watch the team play. Um, and so I, I would say this, John, I default to always having more expectations for Purdue than I do Indiana. But I guess maybe I'm more disappointed that Indiana 2023 looks a lot like Indiana 2021 and 2022. Notre Dame, Ohio State is a big one coming up this weekend. Without question, size up that matchup and the expectation coming up on Saturday night. Let's face it, you know, Notre Dame has kind of established themselves as being, you know, largely good enough to be in the conversation but it almost is like, hey, there's almost been like a ceiling. Like now the expectation is Notre Dame can be a top five, top ten team, but we're not sure if they're truly a college football playoff team or a top two team. Um, maybe this is the year where that's not the case. Now their upcoming schedule obviously gets tougher. They're going to play the best teams on their schedule over the course of the next few weeks. But I would say in most years, even with as solid as Notre Dame has been, you would say Ohio State is clearly the better team. I'm not sure that's the case this year. So there's a little bit more of weight of expectations on Notre Dame in this game, but I also think they're the more experienced team, and obviously that is the case, the quarterback position. So I realize they play sporadically and not every year, but let's just say they have been playing every year for the last 10 or 15. This is one of the few times that Notre Dame would be the favorite. Let's see how they handle that coming up on Saturday. High school football last week, I think, put an end to week number five. We're halfway through it right now. Give me some standouts. You know, Center Grove and, and Ben Davis, you know, are, I think are really good. Uh, and obviously they both have losses to kind of national-level powerhouses from outside of the state of Indiana. So Brownsburg, you know, when, when the polls came out today, is rated number one, and, and that's, that's a really good team. Again, the HCC as a conference is, is fantastic from top to bottom, knowing that HSE and Brownsburg don't play each other uh, until the end of the season. Um, you know, that's shaping up already as a week nine showdown. Um, but Center Grove and, and, and Ben Davis, I think, are really solid, too. I would say this. This is now the 11th fall that we have had six classifications. And I think this is the deepest that 6A has been. There have been a couple of years where there has been parity, where there has not been a great team, per se. Like, I think of, you know, the, the state finals run, you know, when, when, when Taven Jackson and Caden uh, Curry, those guys were underclassmen. It was kind of a surprise where Senator Grove was 4-5 and five in the regular season. Carson Steele missed a lot of that season, but they made the state finals and Carmel beat them. That was the year where there was parity. There, there is parity this year, but it's at a higher level. I think there are, um, there are simply a larger number of really good teams in 6A than we've ever had before. How do you view 5A? Because it kind of gets lost in the shuffle between both 6 and 4A, in particular this season, Greg. 
Well, and, and to be blunt, there's not a lot of Indianapolis schools in 5A. Right. That's part of it. Right. Um, you know, having seen Fort Wayne Snyder, they're really good. Uh, and, and, you know, maybe we should have given Warren a little more of a curve uh, because Warren nearly knocked off Ben Davis last week. And the team that I saw from Warren in week one would not have been close to the team I saw from Ben Davis in week three and weeks four, but they were talented but young in, in a lot of key positions. Unfortunately, Warren lost their quarterback with an arm injury last week, so we'll see how, what sort of effect that has on them uh, over the next you know, few weeks of the season. I'll see them back-to-back weeks in week seven and week eight. But Snyder is good. Scott Bless's team at Bloomington North is having a phenomenal start to the season. Yeah. They are 5-0. and uh, but, but, but 5A has become kind of wide open because, you know, New Palette played in 5A for a few years. They have now dropped back down to 4A. Cathedral had played in, in 5A for a few years. They have bumped up to 6A. Whiteland had a, a, a tremendous class of players last year. They don't have a, a similar group this year. Maybe Decatur Central can make a late run. But the 5A schools around here, seeming they're kind of beating each other up a little bit. Um, I think it's it's going to be Fort Wayne Snyder from the north. Maybe Valpo, Merrillville could, could knock them off like they did last year. It was Valpo that got them in the semi-state. I think the 5A South is wide open. Let's see if, if Scott Bless's team uh, can, can, A, get past South in their own sectional, but then make a run after that in terms of the 5A Southern bracket. Is it fair to say, and I, I don't want to come across as you know making a, a swipe, but is it fair to say that you could put 4A up against 5A in, in terms of the top of the rankings right there and probably be okay? Is that fair to say? Yeah, I, again, I, I think Snyder is really good. Uh, I, I think, again, having seen them, and knowing how many 6A schools they play. You know, they, they scheduled Warren Central. They scheduled an East Noble in week number two. But they play three 6A schools in Fort Wayne. So they play Homestead. They play Carroll. And Carroll's really good this year. I think Northrop is the other 6A uh, of that bunch. Um, they're going to play a, as good of a schedule as anybody in 5A would. So I would probably put Snyder above that. Now you get East Central, Wrights, Kokomo, those guys could easily hang with most of the schools in the 5A classification. Snyder's the one that I would separate from that group. So Greg Rakestraw with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Before I let you go, what are you up to besides the fifth quarter huddle after the Colts game Sunday? So I've got Friday night football, and I'm doing something different. I'll be hitting the Redneck Autobahn on Friday night. The folks, on, the folks in Washington have a brand-new Hatchet Hollow, a brand-new stadium really for the first time in about 80 years. Uh, turf, new stands, new press box, everything. And they have invited us as ISC to come televise slash stream their rededication game, their big homecoming game against Pike Central. So we as ISC will have Carmel and North Central on Channel 23 this week. We'll have Ben Davis and Lawrence North available on ISC pay-per-view as well. We're also going to have Washington Pike Central. So that's the game that I have on Friday night. And then, John, believe it or not, on Saturday, I'm taking a day off. It's my wife's birthday. Oh, well, so, happy so, birthday to Amy. And thankfully, all of like my college football partners and the Indy 11 also have the day off or don't need my services. So it made that a very easy decision. The other thing that I'm going to tell you I'm doing on Saturday, and you know this gentleman quite well, um, I'm supporting my buddy J.J. DeBross. Yes. He has had the Count It for Cat event at Hinkle Fieldhouse. Yep. That scholarship, which was started 18 years ago, has raised $700,000 for Butler University. This is the last year. They're going to keep funding the scholarship, but it's largely endowed at this point. Uh, and so with that, 
They're going to have a final free-throw shooting competition uh, at Hinkle Fieldhouse. And since I have been a part of so many of them, I was invited to come back and take part in the last one. So I'll be bricking free throws and like John yelling short when I know it's not going to make it up there uh, Saturday morning at Hinkle Fieldhouse. Looking forward to that, too. My man, I appreciate that. We'll be looking forward to a, a Amy birthday call on the JMV Takeover Saturday night. In fact, in fact, how about I don't call the show? Yes. But for Amy's birthday, I have her call the show. How think, about that? Yep. Fantastic. Tell her something from the 80s. We go back to the 80s on Saturday. Well, we are both of the 80s, so I think we'll figure it out. That's perfectly fine. Got it, buddy. Appreciate you. Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairgrounds. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com.